Assalamu alaikum. This is Abdurrahman Murphy, and you are listening to Heartwork, the Virtues of Good Friendship, taken from Imam al Ghazali's Ihya Ulum al Din, the Revival of the Religious Sciences. In this series, we read and explore the eight characteristics that Imam al Ghazali has outlined as the foundation of being a virtuous friend. He builds off of verses in the Quran, hadith of the Prophet, وسلم, and stories of the righteous from our tradition, and we try to apply them in the context of contemporary real life examples. At roots, we have daily offerings for the community across a variety of demographics, focusing on social and spiritual growth. Your contribution helps us grow and allows us to provide more for you and your family and friends. Become a monthly sustainer at rootsdfw.org sustain, and please honor us with a visit to Dallas, Texas. Welcome home. Bismillah. Welcome home, everybody. Alhamdulillah. Feels weird. Very overwhelming. Uh, this is something that's been happening for over a year and a half. Alhamdulillah. Uh, can everyone just say Alhamdulillah? Because this is like I was talking to some of um, the staff earlier just about what went into this, and it's still not complete. Uh, but with all the shipping delays, uh, with the furniture that we ordered, and you know all of the uh, plans that we have for like the different decorations and furnishings, we didn't want to wait because really it's not going to be probably all here until January and so we thought that let's just get started you know we've 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 uh, we've done worse than this right the blue tarp days and so we figured let's just get everyone in the space alhamdulillah the important thing is that uh, the coffee machine is installed um, we still have a few other appliances that have to be delivered like the ice maker and all that and we're going big alhamdulillah because the community deserves it and because of all the donations the support the sustainers um, I don't know if you guys know but we have a sustainer program, monthly donors. And worldwide, we have over 1,160 donors, alhamdulillah, that give monthly. And I want to tell you some, some interesting information. Some of the people that give don't live in Dallas. In fact, the majority of people that give don't live in Dallas. Um, we have a sister in Qatar who gives $1,000 a month. We have a brother in Washington, D.C. who gives $1,000 a month. We have, I mean, these are people that, that, you know, they haven't been here. In fact, next year, my plan is to go visit the sister in Qatar. Her name is Fatima because she owns a, a number one, because she's amazing. But number two, she owns a gelato shop. <laughs> so it's like easy for me to, uh, you know, make that excuse. But when I'll be in Turkey, I was hoping to go visit her because for three years now, right, $36,000, $12,000 a year she's been giving. And when I asked her why, and I reached out to her and I talked to her, she said, you know, this is what I listen to, the podcast, right, the, the, the live streams. And then, of course, you know, there's people that are giving whatever they have. I mean, there's students that signed up for $5 a month. There's people giving 10 20 The average donation is $46.11. So I want you to understand, like, the $1,000 are great, and I'm only demonstrating that to you, not to say that, oh, if you can't, then, you know, who are you? What I'm trying to say is that there's people that will never, for all intents and purposes, probably ever sit where you're sitting. But they find so much value and they share that bond of community with us, whether or not they live here or not. But the majority of us that are chipping in, that are making this happen, are doing it within our means, right? $20 a month, $50 a month, whatever it might be. And all of that adds up. And because of the, the trust and the support that everyone here has put in us, we spent so much of our time and our effort and our resources to give back and to make sure, um, you know, just to give you some numbers, and we're a nonprofit, so you can see this anyways, the, the build out of the coffee shop, just the construction was $52,000. The coffee machine you see there is 19,000. The grinder is 4,000. The water system, do you guys even know we have to buy a water system? The water system was $2,800. All of these things, again, they're not coming from my pocket. This is all the collective community resource coming together. And when everybody believes in something and puts their resources together, we're able to deliver, hopefully, inshallah, a place where everyone feels that they belong, a place where everyone feels that they are at home. And the reason I'm sharing these numbers, again, is not in a weird flex or not to show off. That's, I mean, it's not my house. <laughs> I don't live here, believe it or not. Uh, it's to show you and thank you and to thank Allah. You know, we don't deserve any of this. You know what I mean? The amount of mistakes that we make. and We don't deserve it. We're so lucky that Allah has given us the ability to do things like this. 
and to have places like this. You know, when I go for my trips, we're going to Aqsa next week, inshallah, two weeks. And uh, no, next week. Oh, what is it? <laughs> yeah, two weeks. No, next week, subhanAllah. <laughs> the 17th I'm leaving. I'm leaving the 17th. And um, I meet people who travel with us on these trips, and they live like in Iowa, or they live like, and many, many of you moved here from different places. And the first thing they tell me is like, we don't even have a weekly halaqa. Like, we don't even have one, right? And I see a lot of people here who I know transplanted from different cities to, to Dallas. Like, choose your pick. Like, we have something every night in Dallas. You have Sheikh Omar Sulaiman. Like, you can, like, see him at a 7-Eleven in Dallas. Like, what? <laughs> what does that even mean? Like, you can, like, buy a Slurpee with the guy. Like, you can go to his classes on Tuesdays, right? You should. You got Mufti Kamani teaching. You have Sheikh Mikhail on Wednesdays, right? There's this, you know, we sell chai here on Mondays. Uh, you shouldn't come here. But we have a lot of other really good opportunities for everybody. And there's a lot of people that visit and they say, like, man, I, 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 I never ever would imagine having something like Qadam or Roots or, you know, Valley Ranch or Epic or any of these massages. So we all need to be very, very thankful that we have these resources for our faith, alhamdulillah. Um, I have some more thoughts, but I don't want to take up too much time. We're already running a little bit late. But alhamdulillah, welcome. Welcome, everybody. I'm so happy that you're here, alhamdulillah. Um, let's go ahead and keep going and move on, inshallah. So we have now, we've read, for those of you who it's your first time here, I'm really happy that you came. Uh, we're early in a text that is like really near and dear to me. The text is called The Rights of, or The, the Virtues of Companionship, What It Means to Be a Good Friend. Somebody that is good to their friends and someone that has good friendship within them. And the first two that we talked about so far, Imam Al-Ghazali, he wrote about the first one, which was being a good friend with regards to your, your property, your wealth, however you want to put it. Al-Haqul Mal, right? the right of property. And the second is he talked about taking care of people's needs. That a true friend is somebody that's able to look at somebody, see that they are in a situation that's a difficult situation, and they're able to take care of them. Now, why did Imam al-Ghazali begin with these first two? What do you guys think? Why did he talk about being generous with your wealth and property? And then why do you think he talked about being a person that is willing to go and take care of someone when they're in a tough spot? Why do you think those are the first two? Yeah, I mean. Huh? Okay, because this is, we're, the recip we're all the recipients. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is providing for us he takes care of our needs, so it's our job to sort of, you know, pay it forward. Very good. What else? Mm -hmm. Usually when he, like, he wants to start something, I believe the roof, mm. whatever he wants to build up on. Yeah. So maybe the generosity and uh, the other thing you mentioned was the root of being a good friend. Like if you have those roots, then maybe you can go ahead and qualify. Yes. Very good. The foundation of every relationship is built upon certain things. And if you look at the first two things he mentioned, number one is that no one wants to be friends with a stingy person. Like nobody wants to even be in the company of a person who's stingy, let alone friends with them. Being around somebody who is cheap and stingy is really difficult. It can make you feel awkward, it can make you feel uncomfortable. And then on top of that, everyone there kind of recognizes that this is not a desirable trait. Like no one wants to be that person. And so he's saying, well, don't be that person. And the first way that you can prove that you're not that person is by being generous, right? And interestingly, when you're generous with people in your life, one of the things that you're doing from your own perspective, for your heart, is you're proving to Allah, you're proving to others, that I love you more than I love my wealth. I love you more than I love my wealth. That's what generosity means. When someone says, I'm generous, what it translates as in English is, I love my friends or my family or whoever, more than I love the money that I have. You know, I could have a lot of money in my account and have no friends. And I would be in a really weird place. Right? My friend, we used to call him Bruce Wayne. He's like this millionaire guy. And I tell the students this all the time. Like, having wealth might be something that helps with certain problems, but it certainly doesn't solve all problems. In fact, there are certain problems that only come with wealth. Like, people who don't have wealth don't know what those problems are. And so I'm sitting there and my friend tells me, I have no idea who's really my friend or not. I have no clue. And I say, what do you mean? And he says, I don't know if this person is friends with me because I pay for their meals. I don't know if this person's asking for a startup 
investment. I don't know if they want me to donate to their nonprofit. Like, I don't know, right? And so part of the beauty of being generous amongst people is that you're showing them that, you know what, this money that I work hard for, I love you more than I love this. Like, seeing you happy makes me happier than when I get paid. And the second thing is the same. Everyone has needs. Everyone has these vulnerabilities in their life that they need help. They need people to be there for them to take care of them. And when people step up and fulfill those needs, it shows these people that what? I love you more than I love the comfort of my own home. Someone has a flat tire, their ride doesn't turn up at the airport, whatever. They call you, it's late at night, you're already getting ready to watch the fourth episode of whatever Netflix series you're in for that evening, right? You're binging hard, trying to negotiate Isha prayer somehow in there, right? You're doing all these things, and then someone calls, they need to, or they just need to talk. They just want to talk. And in that moment, when you're like in your unwinding safe space, your comfort, it's very easy to sort of put off, right? Silence the phone, ignore the text. Oh, sorry, I didn't see this. You know, like, that's a very, very, like, normal thing that people might do. But when a person goes out of their comfort zone to take care of the needs of others, you're telling that person that I love you more than I love my own comfort. That's why Imam Ghazali says that there's a certain type of state that you get to with this stuff, that when you get there, you see your brother or sister, you hand them some food, they eat it, and you can almost taste the bite in your own mouth. Because you love them so... I know that's a little bit strange, but just bear with me, right? Like you see them eating something, you can almost taste it. Because the pleasure of them enjoying that food is greater to you than you even enjoying it. Okay? So now the third one. And this is a really, really subhanAllah heavy one. This is one that is, is uh, you know, significant. I mentioned it last week. It's very heavy. And I put it here on the screen so that everybody can kind of stay along with it. Hopefully you can see it, inshallah. He says, the third duty is the tongue. What is the responsibility that we have with the tongue? Well, the Prophet ﷺ, he described it best. The companions asked the Prophet ﷺ one day. They had the best questions, man. The Prophet ﷺ had amazing questions. Uh, uh, the companions of the Prophet ﷺ. They would ask him after like deep reflection. And this is, by the way, a really important skill to master. You know how everyone says, there's no such thing as a dumb question. That's false. There's absolutely <laughs> such a thing as a dumb question. Okay? Everyone here is like, you know. What color are these walls? Like, I don't know, man, look. Like, you know what I mean? People ask questions all the time where the answer to it is simply within reach, right? Or, Sheikh Abdel Nasser made an amazing point today. He said if you have like 67 questions about one topic, maybe it's not a question. Maybe you need to go learn the topic, right? <laughs> you know, part one of 67, like surgery. What is it? How do I do it? It's like, no, no, no. There are people that actually go and learn this stuff, right? So... The, the companions used to ask very like, refined questions. They would think every good question has preparation. And the person you're asking a question to, I've done it. I've asked horrible questions, man. When I first met my teachers, I'm like, Sheikh, what's this? What's this? And he's like, uh, you don't know anything. And they would respond by saying really funny things. Like they, I'd be like, when can we read this book together? And they would say, how much Quran have you memorized? And I'm like, I get it. Okay, I'll go back and memorize more. They would just push me away in the most gentle of ways, right? They're like, that's a dumb question. Why are you trying to focus on the advanced stuff? Your Sultan Fatiha is not, not very Fatiha. It's very broken, right? You need to work on reading that. Get it better. Get your pronunciation on point. Your Tajweed, uh, it's broken. So the companions asked the Prophet, Ya Rasulullah, listen to this question. They're sitting around him. They say, Ya Rasulullah, who has the best Islam? Like, who's the person that in their heart is the best Islam. And this is a question that everybody has till today. We look at each other and there's this, there, there's this notion that we're trying to achieve some sort of ideal, whether it's like a physical or like a characteristic or a, you know, a, a, um, a behavioral. We want to become the best version of ourselves. So they would ask the Prophet, Ya Rasulullah, who has the best Islam in their heart? Describe that person to us. And in one of those narrations, the Prophet Sallallahu answer, he gave a few different answers, which means that it's like a multifaceted person, right? But one of them, the Prophet Sallallahu he said, مَنْ سَلِمَ الْمُسْلِمُونَ مِنْ لِسَانِهِ وَيَدِي He said, the person who can, who can know that they are like the best in their faith, this person has two traits. Number one, other Muslims are not afraid of this person with regards to two things. Man salim al-Muslimuna. The believers feel safe. 
they feel tranquil. Let's flip this on its head. Do you guys ever have experiences where in the presence of somebody you're worried about saying certain things or appearing a certain way or you're worried about somebody misunderstanding something? Okay. Are you perhaps the type of person where others are afraid of you finding out something or you seeing them in a questionable situation? Imagine this. Imagine seeing your friends in like a really questionable scenario, right? Imagine going, you know, somewhere late at night on a Friday and you see your friends walking out of a building where they shouldn't be, right? What's the person's heart? Like, again, this is the content, the substance. There was actually a sheikh that I knew in Australia and he used to actually go to the nightclubs at night. Like, everyone's like, not again, right? <laughs> Another corrupt preacher. No. He used to go, subhanAllah, you know why he would go? He would go and he would wait and he would look for people that he could perhaps like speculate or guess that they were Muslim. And he would go and he would yell at them. No, I'm joking. He wouldn't. <laughs> he would take his car and he would pick up two or three and he would take them back to his house and he would have his guest room set up in his house and, he would, and they would be completely you know, drunk but they'd recognize him from the masjid so they'd feel, sh they'd feel shy. He took them. He would go. I met him. He explained to the whole process. I would take them home. I'd have some food for them. I'd have some you know, water to hydrate them. He's like, he had his own like, hangover formula. I was like, this is too much. You know too much. <laughs> and then he, he would let them sleep. The next morning, he would you know, have his bathroom ready, warm towel, right? the good stuff, not this like, Walgreens, like, you know, like Walmart like shampoo. He would get them like, the nice stuff, right? And he would let them use it. And he would, after the, and he would have breakfast ready for them. He's treating them like they're like dignitaries. And they would come downstairs, and they would come down, and what, they, what would they do? They would, and their face would be to the ground. They'd be so ashamed. Like, my imam caught me. You know what I mean? Like, busted, you know? How will I ever look at this person in the face? And he said, I would do this, and then after breakfast, we'd have coffee, and I'd, I'd just sit with them for a while, and I would, you know, then I would make sure that they were good, like they were ready to drive or whatever, and we'd take them back to, the, to where their cars were, we'd drop them off, and then he's like, as I would let them, as I would let them go, I would just tell them like, you know, very, very like soft things. Like, I love you and I don't want to see you hurt yourself. I don't want to see you hurt yourself. So I came to get you so you wouldn't drive. And they're like, we're sorry, we're never going to do this again. He's like, look, that's between you and Allah. And I hope you don't do it again. But I don't want you to drive in that state. You know what I mean? That's a person. Now imagine, like, they're not afraid of him seeing them ever again. Because he's proven that he's a person that believers can feel safe around. So we come here tonight hoping that we leave here being somebody that people know that they're safe with us. That they're safe. That they're, if, if something embarrassing happens, what do we do as humans? We're walking up the stairs and we trip. What's the first thing you do? You look around. You, don't look for, you, don't, you, you could have dropped your phone. It could have shattered into the multiverse. I mean, like, it literally could have destroyed itself times infinity. You won't even care. The first thing we do as humans, we trip, is we look behind us to see who is with us. And then if we can play it off, we play it off. Right? And then we make sure that we're okay. You could have a broken wrist and you're like, it's fine. I'm good. Right? Because we're so concerned. Wallahi, we are so concerned about what people think about us. Right? So it is the goal of every person in here tonight to be somebody that when we are in the presence of others, we are not people who are feared. Our eyes and ears are not objects of fear for others. That they know that they're safe with us. Right? Whatever it is that's happening. So the Prophet ﷺ, he said that. That the true believer, the best version, is one who other believers feel safe from their hand. So don't, don't hit people. Don't strike people. Okay? Min lisanihi wa yadi. Okay? So he begins. Let's go ahead and read together. Who wants to read for us? Nice and loud. Loud. Yeah, Jawad. Oh my gosh. Amazing. You get that, Tim? Thanks, Sundas. Sundas is the best, by the way. By the way, the chai you drank tonight, Sundas went and got that, mashallah. She's awesome. Allah bless her, inshallah. Okay. May Allah always protect the lenses of her cameras. 
and reunite them in Jannah. Okay, Jawad, I'm going to let you read into that, inshallah. All right, so he says, the third duty concerns your tongue. So the first one is your wealth. The second is your ability to fulfill the needs of others. The third virtuous trait of every friend is to make sure that you are a person that watches your tongue. He says the tongue has two functions. What's the two functions of the tongue? Sometimes you what? Sometimes you? You talk and sometimes you should? Be quiet. So the tongue, can you, everyone's like, trick question. No, 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 it's right there. All right? Okay. There's two functions of the tongue. It can either be talking or it cannot be talking. It's either, it's either articulating or it's quiet. So what does this mean? This means that there's really only two situations. And if you master this one, you've won 50% of the battle with your tongue. Okay? Abu Bakr as-Siddiq, this is the best friend of the Prophet If you're talking about like the best friend of somebody, you know that he knows a thing or two about the religion. Okay, so Abu Bakr used to walk around Medina and he would walk like this. He would carry his tongue in his fingers. And everyone would ask, like, what happened? Are you okay? Did something happen? And he, you know what he would say? SubhanAllah. He would say, this thing, this organ is the one that's going to take me to hellfire. This thing. Not these. Not anything else. Just this. And, and they were like shocked. And he would say, think about all the damage you can do with that. Think about the lives you can ruin, the reputations you can tarnish, the hopes you can destroy, right? The self-confidence. You know what I mean? How many of you in here were ever bullied in school? Raise your hands. It's a safe space. They called me Biscuit Head growing up. Didn't help that I love biscuits. Okay? Yeah. Did it not hurt? Yes or no? Does it hurt when someone says something about you? Does it hurt when they say something to you that's negative? Does it hurt? Does it bother you? It should. That means that you're living. It means you have a human heart, right? The other day, Musa came home. <laughs> Islamic School Chronicles of Musa Murphy, man. He came home. He drew something red and black. Like he drew something like a character that was, had red and black colors. And the kid next to him goes, that's haram. <laughs> and then Musa goes, what are you talking about? And he goes... That, those are shaitan's two favorite colors. <laughs> and Musa's like, I don't, like, he's like, he didn't know, he just got quiet. So he came home, he's like, Baba. And then the kid told him, you're not going to Jannah. Like, he told him that. Okay? So Musa, Musa comes over, he's like, Baba, like, he said this to me, right? And it, like, bothered him a little bit. And I've never flexed this in my life. Wallah al-Azim, I've never done this before. I said, you go back and tell that kid that your dad gets khutbah. <laughs> I said, you tell him, my dad is a sheikh, and my dad said, absolutely that is false. Shaitan doesn't have favorite colors, man. What are you talking about? And, Musa, you're not even balig, you have no sins yet. He's like, what does that mean? I was like, you're good, bro. Like, you are good. Like, you are definitely going to have done that as of right now. Okay? <laughs> right? But the point being is that the five-year-old reality is still true even when you're 35. Even when, you're, you know, even when you're 60. Things that people say can really bother us. Okay? Right? What will people say? Oh, Urdu didn't... Pakistani people didn't know I knew a little bit of Urdu, right? So you talk about the big Gorasab in the front of the room, I know who you're talking about. Okay? Alright. Man, someone really liked that one. Okay. So he says, As for silence, the tongue should not mention your brother or sister's faults in their absence or in their presence. They should not mention their faults. In their absence or their presence. Now this is, this is important because when somebody's present, many of us have the sense of mind, the, the common sense, right? The sensibility to not say something negative and critical about somebody when they're around us. Some of us do lack that though. And we lack it in the form of sarcasm. So we, we mask a lot of our negative characteristics in the form of humor. But it still is not okay. It's not correct. It's not correct to make fun of somebody or to say something you know that they wouldn't like, even if it's just a joke, bro. Right? Because for some people, it's not just a joke. And to, to, to say things and to let, the, to let the lips and the tongue destroy somebody's self-worth, self-esteem, the way they see themselves, just because you think it's funny, subhanAllah, you know, the Prophet, he used to... He used to, uh, uh, you know, talk about Allah's anger upon a person who would lie 
just to make others laugh. And so if we can speak ill about people just to make them laugh, there's a similar kind of displeasure that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would have. Because Surah Al-Hujurat says this, لَا يَسْخَرْ قَوْمٌ مِّنْ قَوْمٍ عَسَىٰ أَنْ يَكُونُوا خَيْرًا مِّنْهُمْ وَلَا نِسَاءٌ مِّنْ نِسَاءٍ عَسَىٰ أَنْ يَكُنَّ خَيْرًا مِّنْهُنْ وَلَا تَلْمِزُوا أَنفُزَكُمْ وَلَا تَنَابَزُوا بِالْأَلْقَابِ It's a whole verse in the Qur'an that says don't give each other bad nicknames. Don't mock each other. Don't ridicule one another. Allah is taking a whole verse of the Qur'an to give us basic, like kindergarten rules. Because this stuff can really hurt. So he says, you should never mention in their presence or their absence. Hold your tongue back. Rather, you should feign ignorance. You guys know what feign means? This is translated in, the, in like the 80s. Feign means to what? Fake. Fake ignorance. So if somebody comes to you like, did you see what so-and-so did? Right? Or they send you a screenshot of something. This is the new way, right? No one ever talks to you. They just send a screenshot. Right? And then you don't answer, and then they do the exclamation points. <laughs> because you know why? Al-Ghazali says this. He says, backbiting, it has an appetite. Just like you can't ignore when you're hungry or thirsty, when people love to talk about others, there's an appetite there. Don't be this person. Fast from backbiting. Kill the appetite completely. What benefit is given to a person by talking about others? What is happening there? Right? So, this happens... And then what Al-Ghazali is saying is that the next time you see this person and they bring up something, you should act like you completely were unaware of anything that was mentioned about them or anything that you saw from them. Be completely as if you never saw it. Right? Even if they know. Even if it's public knowledge. Whatever. You act like you didn't know. You saw someone stumble up the stairs. They look back. They're like, oh man, how embarrassing. You're like, I was looking at my phone. What was embarrassing? And this is one of those scenarios where Imam al-Ghazali is going to tell us something, and I don't want people to abuse this. He's going to say, in this case, it's okay for a person to even... Lie. Yeah, I don't want to say lie. <laughs> Someone's a little bit too easy with that. <laughs> You're like, lie, lie all day. Lie to your parents, lie to your friends. No. All right, I'm joking around. It's in, this, in this case, it's okay for you to bend around the truth a little bit. Right? Embellish. Or to, ignore, or to act like you didn't, right? In this case, it's okay. Because why? Because the goal is high. The goal, the, the purpose is very lofty. It's very noble. You're trying to preserve the honor of somebody. Preserve the dignity of somebody, okay? He says, you should not contradict them when they talk. What does this mean? Don't interrupt people. If somebody's talking, and they're like, man, you know, they say A. Don't be like, oh, actually, no, that's wrong. You're wrong. And this is why. Right? When somebody's talking... We should be people that can sit there and that can listen to somebody and be like, oh, interesting. Now, we're not talking about like life or death things or like major infractions, right? Someone's like, I think we should all just stop praying. And you're like, hmm, good point. <laughs> like, no, that's not, right? I think we should just all stop fasting Ramadan, right? Food's the best then. Ignore, that's different. We're just talking about if somebody's like, hey, you know what? I think that, I think that the weather's going to be great this weekend. It's going to be 32 and you're like... You know, there's no point in being a person that always has to establish your dominance in the conversation. Don't contradict them. Let the person land their conversation softly. Okay? Don't be a person that has to step in and say that. Like when people tell me that Kobe is the GOAT or LeBron is the GOAT. No, Habibi. Right? <laughs> Michael Jordan, subhanAllah. Right? Just go watch The Last Dance. Okay? Go watch that. I don't want to interrupt you. I don't want to contradict you publicly. Just go to the privacy of your home and weep for how wrong you were. Okay? So he says, you should not contradict them, nor should you dispute and argue with them. Do not be a person that constantly picks fights. You should not pry and quiz. Did you read this, Jawad? You should not pry and quiz. Did you read that part? Go ahead. It should be on. My goodness, man. Imam Ghazali must have been the best friend ever. You know what he just said? What did he just say? Summarize it. Mind your business. Mind your business. 
Don't ask people, where have you been? Ask them, how have you been? Don't ask them, where have you been? This is Osama Khan, may Allah have mercy on him. He said this. When you see somebody you haven't seen for a long time, don't say, where have you been? No, tell me. I haven't seen you. Right? Don't go down that path. Don't force somebody to have to then scurry and run and hide from the truth. And then he says what? Or they may have to lie. Just one question is enough to let that person know that you care. Now again, sometimes you ask, where have you been? Because you do care, right? But then it's a little bit of emotional intelligence. It's a little bit of understanding the nature of people. If we ask them something, if they don't bring it up, there's no reason for us to have to uncover that. So what's the right approach? Is to say what? It's so good to see you. How, how have you been, right? It, it's, this just made my day. I was thinking about you. And seeing you here it makes me so happy. It's so good to see you, right? That's a good way to engage and to show them that you love them without having to ask. So you see someone in the street and you see them at a questionable time or you see them at a, at, you know, in a certain aisle at a grocery store or at a pharmacy and you're like, hmm, interesting, right? Trying to diagnose, you go to WebMD, why would a person need to buy this or buy that? By the way, this is a very important trait. Have you guys ever uh, uh, felt someone looking over your shoulder at your phone? Okay, I was on a plane one time and wallahi, the guy next to me started laughing at the funny part. <laughs> and I was wearing headphones. So there was no way that he could have like heard it. I'm just like there and there was like a funny part and I just hear, <laughs> and I look and he's just like. <laughs> I'm like, what? I'm like, what? How is that okay? You know, it's, wild, it's crazy. It's like you step onto a plane and you all of a sudden you become like mahram with everybody, right? So you just, so, and then Ustad al-Baydullah taught me about the, uh, uh, this privacy screen. It's changed my life. Okay? So, don't be somebody that, that over, you know, or if you go to somebody's house, right? If you're there, there's no reason if you're in their public space, in their living room, to start prying and analyzing and looking. A lot of people might go to somebody's house and on the way home, they visit Zillow.com. Right? How much, you know, you guys have all, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's a, that reaction was too, how much do they get it for? What are their taxes like? If you're that close with them, wouldn't you just be able to ask? Right? Wouldn't you be, we have some realtors in the room that are like, it's not how it works, right? Okay. But the point being is if you're that close with them, shouldn't you just be able to say like, hey, this is a beautiful home. Well, you know, if you don't mind me asking, maybe think about it, but I would love to know like in the neighborhood, like what, what to expect. Like we would maybe like to move to this, but whatever, right? Being genuine. Not having to be sneaky about it. Don't go through their drawers. Don't look what's in their bookshelf. Don't, you know, all of that. If it's not clearly meant to be visited and looked at and observed, then don't be the person that goes through. Don't do that. A lot of subhanAllah people. A lot of people. And Allah has created us all with the need for secrecy. Do you understand that? Allah has created every person with the need to hide things about themselves. Because those things are uncomfortable. If someone is on a certain medication and they don't want people knowing, or if someone has a certain family and they don't want people knowing, or they have, that's okay. That's okay, right? It's not, it doesn't make a person a bad Muslim that they're not like, these are the pills that I take. Here's the, here's the prescriptions I have. That person living in my house is not my direct relative. Let me explain. Like that's, this is something that Allah has allowed for us. He does not make it sinful to have private things, okay? But in fact, He did make it sinful for a person to go and to look and to spy. Even one time, subhanAllah, Umar radiallahu anh, uh, um, he, he, he came to know and caught somebody who was drinking, uh, you know, in, in the privacy of his home, he was drinking. And this is a violation, obviously, of the Sharia. So Umar went and he, uh, um, you know, he apprehended this person, right, from the privacy of his own home, and he went and he started to interrogate him. And the man brought a, a brilliant point. He said, what I was doing was, was wrong, right? Drinking was wrong, even if it was in the privacy of my home. But you also came and spied on me. And Omar let him go. Because he said, like, okay, you're right, like, checkmate. Had I not done what was impermissible, then I would not have found out what you were doing. And it was in the privacy of your own home, right? So you get away with it this time, okay? Just to show you how important that is, all right? Now, uh, so number one, so we're going to talk about some things to keep silent about. We're not going to finish this section tonight because it keeps going. There's a lot of categories he gives. But the first thing is he says, keep silent about the faults of others. Keep silent. Why? Because everybody in this room has faults. The moment that you feel confident talking about the mistakes of other people, do one thing. Ask yourself, 
How would I feel if I were in the situation and people knew about my faults and they were comfortably, casually talking about me? No one here would like it. No one here would appreciate that, right? When Allah talks about backbiting, He says, he says that, you know, don't talk backbite about each other. Would you like to eat the dead flesh of your brother or sister? No, you would hate that. So don't be somebody that talks about other people's faults, okay? And if you see someone in a situation or you see someone going through something and they're not bringing it to you, they're not seeking out your opinion, don't be the person that uncovers that. Go ahead, Jawad. Keep silent. Mm, God. Do not reveal anything about them, not even after separation and estrangement. For to do so would be meanness of character and impurity of the inner. The second category of watching your tongue. First is don't talk about their faults. Second is don't, if they do come to you and they do open up to you about the, the secrets that they have, right? So Allah allows us to have secrets. It's halal to have secrets, okay? The secrets themselves, the content of which may not be halal, but. That's a little bit of a philosophical conversation. Allah allows you to keep things private, okay? If somebody does divulge to you, what should you do? You should become Fort Knox. You become a lockbox. In Arabic, one of the quotes that they use later, you should become a tomb. Why? Nothing comes out of the tomb, right? If somebody comes to you and tells you, hey, make dua for me, why? I'm going through this, or I have this situation. There should be no concession, whether it, and he even mentions, even if it's that person's other best friends, like you guys roll as a crew, right? You ladies go out once a week to dinner, and there's three other people there, and in the parking lot they mention, make dua for me, I'm going through this, my family's going, don't text the group chat like, hey, by the way, you know, is everything okay? Don't do that. Don't divulge, okay? That's the second rule he's giving. This is an amana. The Prophet ﷺ, he said in a hadith that's very scary. He said, كَفَى بِالْمَرْئِ كَاذِبًا كَفَى بِالْمَرْئِ كَاذِبًا What? أَنْ يُحَدِّثَ بِكُلِّ مَا سَمِعَ He said, it is enough of a proof that a person is a liar, that they, are, they always lie, that everything they listen to, they talk about it. Why, why is that such a powerful hadith? Because the Prophet ﷺ is saying that if you're the kind of person that doesn't know the difference between what's meant to be private and what's meant to be public, and, listen to this, everyone here who has heard something has been asked not to tell other people. And that person didn't imply, it's okay to tell your wife. It's okay to tell your mom. It's okay to tell your siblings. No. When they say, please, keep this between you and me, who is it between? You and them. Not between you and people that you think are okay. Right? So the phrase that we should eliminate from our vocabulary is what? Don't tell them I told you this. That phrase needs to be eliminated. Generally, 99.99% of the time, there is never a reason for a person to divulge an amana. The amana, the Prophet ﷺ said, and by the way, the amana, you want to know how far it extends? The amana, the responsibility, the trust, is the default. The Prophet ﷺ said, that the gatherings that we have, if there's a group of people hanging out and you're having a conversation, the Prophet said, this gathering by default, there's a lock over it. You can't go and take stuff from that gathering and start to tell to people. Why? Because the privacy of that gathering was an oath. It was an implicit oath. So what do you have to do? If you want to share with somebody, if you feel like there's benefit, you have to go and ask permission. You have to say, hey guys, we, I, you know, someone mentioned something the other night. Is it okay if I bring that up? I thought that was really interesting. And let that person dictate to you. Let them tell you. Another thing which is big, sharing numbers. Anyone here ever got a text message from somebody? Hey, I got your number from so-and-so. And you're like, la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah. Right? I got, I got this number from your friend. You're like, former friend. Right? That's an amana. No, Seriously. I've had people show up in my house. I got your address from so-and-so. Oh my God. What? Are you serious? I'm like, Marie, we're moving. Right? We got to move. Right? We should never feel comfortable sharing things like people's personal information. 
people's family stuff, people's history, all that. If they tell you, you become a lockbox, okay? He says, do not reveal anything about them, especially, right? It's one thing to be when, when you're friends, of course, because you have something at stake. But what happens when the friendship breaks? What happens when things fall apart? One of the first things we do when relationships break down is we start to go through the catalog in our minds of everything private that this person knows about us. And we're like, I hope to God that they forgot this, 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 this. Imam al-Ghazali said, the test of your character is not only whether or not you can keep secrets with your friends, but it's whether or not you keep secrets of your enemies too. Or those people that you don't like. They talk poorly about you, you don't return that with divulging their stuff. There's no, there's no punches thrown back and forth. Why? Because he says, if you take the liberty to divulge people's information, just because you're not friends anymore, maybe you had a really bad situation, maybe you really don't like each other anymore. It happens, right? There's a lot of people, remember this line, there's a lot of people that you can wish for them to go to Jannah, but you don't want to hang out with them in the dunya. You guys understand what I'm saying? Like, not everyone's going to get along. There are some companions in Medina, they didn't get along perfectly, but they didn't want each other to go to hellfire. They're like, I hope you go to Jannah, but leave me alone. It's okay, right? I have Muslim brothers that I disagree with on vehemently about things. Vehemently. Like deep disagreements. But I never ever in my heart have ever wished anything but Jannah for that person. Even if I think they are totally, totally wrong in a certain situation. So it's okay to have people that you disagree with. But if you come to know something that is personal, whether from them or somebody else, about somebody that you don't have the best of terms with, the true test of your character is to see whether or not you can keep it together. And he says that if you divulge that after the establishment of your relationship is done, he said that would mean that you were of the worst. You had such impurity in your character. And then we'll do this as a last one before we break, inshallah. Go ahead, Jawad. Keep silent. Did it turn off? I can read it, that's okay. Keep silent from criticism of his dear ones or her dear ones. This is a really great translation of people that they love. Keep silent from criticism of the ones that they love. Their family, their children, their friends. Keep silent about those people. So you might have a friend that you love, but you might have a friend and you don't love their family. You don't love their siblings. You don't love their parents. You don't love, for whatever reason. This is very interesting, and especially, by the way, can I just share something with you? This is one of the downfalls of marriages. Huh? What's that? It's one of the downfalls of marriages, is what? Oh, I love my husband, but I hate his mom. I love my wife, but I hate her parents. Or her sister's annoying. Or her brother is this. Or her uncle is this. Or, her, or his dad is this. One of the downfalls of marriages. Why? You know why? Because it's true. Maybe you have a reason to actually dislike that. Maybe they're actually not the best. Maybe the mother-in-law is not the greatest. Maybe the father-in-law is not cool. Like maybe that's, but you know what, man? They still have a special place in the heart of the person that you love. And when you talk poorly about them, it's even more damaging because your accuracy is hitting the arrow bullseye at their heart. Bullseye, right? There's no value in speaking poorly and criticizing the beloved of people. There's no value in that. Listen to his analogy, Listen, or the hadith he presents. He says, don't relate the criticism of others. So number one is don't talk poorly about people's beloved. If someone hangs out with someone and you don't like their friend, but you're cool with them, there's no reason to speak poorly about their friends. Because naturally what's gonna happen is they're gonna start to feel this resentment towards you. Why do you feel like you can talk about this in front of me, right? And then he says also, be very careful not to carry the criticism that other people have of your friend to that person. Don't be the bearer of bad news. Did you hear what everyone's saying about you? Or sending screenshots, or sending this and that. Don't be that person. Why? Anas radiallahu an, he narrates that the Prophet never faced anyone with something that was displeasing. The Prophet would never come to somebody. Imagine how many people complained to the Prophet about other people. Like he was the community counselor, he was the prophet, he was the guide. Everyone came to him, Ya Rasulullah, I don't like this person. Ya Rasulullah, I don't like this person. I don't like this person. We got into a fight, we got into a disagreement. The Prophet didn't just go and say, hey, you know, so-and-so hates you. 
Do you know that? But you should know. No, even within marriages, if a wife or a husband came and sought counsel and complained, he wouldn't be like, hey, your wife hates you, what's going on? He would give advice and he would let them figure it out. You know, it's so interesting, subhanAllah, the Prophet had such tact, such class with dealing with people's personal issues. Now, a lot of us, I like to call people like this, you know, there's someone that I know, he's a very dear friend and colleague of mine, and everyone goes to him with their issues. He's a mufti, so he has all the fatwas. I call him the chamber of secrets. Because that man is a lockbox, mashallah. He doesn't talk about these things. I mean, he knows stuff about everybody. And you would never think that he's even met the people that he knows the most deep, dark secrets about. He knows the, some of the most difficult, heartbreaking stories from families and friends. But when he greets them, Assalamu alaikum, how are you? So good to see you. Doesn't divulge. Doesn't carry the bad news. Why? The Prophet ﷺ says, because the informant, the informant, right, is the one who's causing the hurt, not the one who said it. Not the person who originally said the bad thing, okay? And then the Prophet, and then the Imam Ghazali, he finishes, and tonight we'll finish with this. Of course, you should never hide any praise that you hear. And this is a weird flipping of the, of the paradigm. Normally we're like, we don't want to praise this person too much because we don't want what? Inflation of the ego, their head to get big, whatever. Imam Ghazali says, no, no, no. Don't tell them anything bad that you hear about them. However, if somebody says something good, you should carry that to that person. You should say, like, hey, moment, do you know that Humayun said that your beard is, mashallah, amazing? Like, do you know that, right? Now, again, like, if I hold that back, what does that mean? He says that, okay? He says, of course, you should never hide any praise that you hear, for the pleasure in it is received directly from the conveyor as well as from the original source. Concealing praise of somebody is a sign of envy. If somebody said something good about someone, and you have that knowledge, and you see that person, and you remember it, and you actively say, you know, I'm not going to tell them that. Why would I do that? I don't want them to get to. Maybe your head is the one that's big. Maybe your heart is the one that's problematic. Because you're holding some good news from somebody. Allah Ta'ala said, وَبَشِّرِ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ Always give good news to the believers and those who do good deeds. The Prophet said, بَشِّرُوا وَلَا تُنَفِّرُوا يَسِّرُوا وَلَا تُعَصِّرُوا Give good news. Always be a person when you see somebody that you drop some good news on them. Whether it's a compliment, whether it's praise, or whether it's somebody referring to them in a positive way. The Prophet taught us this. In short, he says, you should keep silent about any speech unpleasant to this person, in general or particular. That's the general rule. Unless, he says, you are obliged to speak about it for the cause of giving them advice, of saving them from harm, saving them from harming themselves or others, and promoting goodness. And even then, you're only allowed to give advice if you cannot find a valid excuse to explain why this person is doing something. Okay? You should give as many excuses as possible. As many as you can as to why somebody may or may not be doing something. In such cases, he says, you don't need to worry about the disapproval when it's really bad. You don't need to worry about the disapproval since what you do is beneficial for them when it's rightly understood, even if it looks bad at first sight. So the general rule here that we're walking out with tonight is that the tongue has to remain in good grace with the people around us. We have to be somebody that doesn't speak poorly about people. We don't criticize them, their loved ones, and we don't divulge what they tell us or what we see of them. Right? In fact, we try our best to always be people that are giving positive moments for people with our speech. And then he says, there might be a moment, there might come a time when you have to engage in that tough conversation. Now, I was hoping to get to this tonight, but we don't have time because Isha's in 13 minutes. And I want to break, inshallah. But he gives the allowance for nasiha, advice, but there's conditions for nasiha. And let me tell you the first one, just to give you something to go home with. The first condition of giving advice is that if me giving advice to this person is going to, in fact, push them away from the ultimate goal, then it is haram for me to go and give them that advice. If it is going to push them away, okay? If I see someone doing something wrong, and I, in my head, I play out the scenarios, and I know for a fact 
that by me going to this person and saying, hey, you should do this, or you should stop doing this, that that person's response is going to be to like dig in their heels and do even more what I'm telling them not to do, or to stay further away from that which I'm advising them to do, then the scholars, Imam Manawi, he talks about this in his, uh, uh, when he, when he uh, compiled the Arba'in, all the commentators, Mullah Al-Qari, they all mentioned, if pushing somebody away is the result, don't give them advice, don't do it. It's not the right time, it's not the right place, or you're not the right person. There could be that advice from the mouth of somebody else that is the right person to give that advice, or the right time, or the right wording. But we have to deal with the reality that maybe I'm not the right one to do this job, right? So nasiha is an art. There's seven conditions that he gives. We're going to talk about that next time, inshallah. We ask Allah Ta'ala to accept from us. We ask Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala to protect our tongues from taking us to the hellfire. We ask Allah Ta'ala to protect our speech from being a reason that we are given uh, 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 you know, great sin on the Day of Judgment. We ask Allah Ta'ala to forgive us for everything that we've uttered that was not good, that we forgot about, that which we know and that which we don't know. We ask Allah Ta'ala to purify our hearts and to only let good be spoken from the tongue of the heart that is purified. We ask Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala to allow us to follow the example of the Prophet Sallallahu who said that for any of you who believe in Allah on the last day, then they should either say good or they should keep silent. We ask Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala to accept. We ask Allah Ta'ala to bless everybody here that if anyone is going through any difficulty or any challenge, we ask you, O oh Allah, to untangle that challenge from them. We ask, O oh Allah, to give relief to everybody who is here, whether it's financial or personal, whether it's marriage, whether it's seeking marriage, whether it is professional, whether it is mental health related, physical health related, O oh Allah, you are the controller of every affair. We ask you, O oh Allah, to make things easy upon us. We ask you, O oh Allah, to not test us beyond our means. We ask you, O oh Allah, to give us the strength to be able to transcend all the difficulties that we find in front of us. We ask you, O oh Allah, to give us the grace to be able to be patient in moments that are challenging for us. Amin, amin, ya Rabbil Alameen. Subhanakallahumma bihamdik, ashadu wa la ilaha illa antina, astaghfiruka, wa natubu